from our headquarters in Oslo, Norway, and on behalf of our host, Robbie Peralta. Welcome to the Mnemonic Security Podcast. When the proverbial shit hits the fan, who are you going to call? Back to a serious note, sometimes that calls in vain, as there is nothing even the best of Ghostbusters can do to save the day. But if you could ask a Ghostbuster for advice before a cyber drama occurred, what would you ask? Hopefully some of my questions will overlap yours, as I've brought in one of Mnemonic's very own Ghostbusters to pick his brain about what happens when the proverbial security hits the fan. Mort Mea! Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. We are uh, in Iceland right now. Yes. Say hi to everybody. Hello, hi Iceland. Island. But uh, Morten, yeah. yeah. who are you? What do you work with? My name is Morten and I work with threat intelligence in Mnemonic, but that's not where I started. I started some uh, eight years ago in the information security business uh, and I've been working the full cycle of uh, incident response since then. I started my climb in the Security Operations Center, detecting and assessing uh, incidents and uh, alerts, where I worked for one and a half year. Uh, I, as I said, I uh, analyzed the events that we got on the screen, uh, real time, 24-7. Good old sock work. Yes. Mm, mm. Steady workhorse of uh, every business. Uh, yes. Or should be. <laughs> and I also uh, came up with some recommendations for how to fix the problems. So that cool. was uh, how it all began, uh, and then I moved on to governance, risk, and compliance. Out of the sock into a suit. Yeah, mm. <laughs> more or less. Uh, I was uh, not focusing on the technical things anymore. I was doing uh, more management uh, work mm. and uh, helping management understand why information security is uh, important. Basically, tried to make them uh, prepared for any incidents that could happen uh, with having sufficient processes and procedures and a good information security foundation uh, within the organization. Mm. So after uh, some years there, uh, I ended up in uh, threat intelligence, where is awesome. what I'm doing now. Uh, so I work on sharp incidents, but though I only work on the incidents that uh, warranted a full-blown IRT. So not like the everyday operational incidents, but uh, where the shit really hit, has hit the fan. And we APTs. Have to, yes, and mm. we have to move out and uh, fix the problems. Yeah, like superheroes. Sexy. Very sexy. Indeed. Mm. So uh, what I mainly do is incident management, making sure the real heroes, the analyst, gets what they need uh, mm. when they need it. And I also work as a middleman between client uh, management technical expertise making sure the technicians uh, are shielded from the ties uh, and translate the nerd speak to business speak and uh, vice versa mm. i kind of like doing this because uh, i have a background both in management and a technical background uh, with a master thesis in uh, in uh, our master's degree uh, in uh, informatics and also one in management wow so you like school I like and school. <laughs> yeah. I really like school because now you're a PhD candidate. Yes, I'm a PhD candidate researching decision making in instant response, uh, or more precisely, how to make sure decisions taken in instant response uh, are the right ones in mm. the right time. So basically, make sure that you do the right things as fast as possible. And let me just stop you there. That that's really important because in a incident response situation, I, you know more, yeah, more than anybody else how. Uh, Decisions get made just very hastily. And yep. It's not it's very seldomly the right uh, decision to make if you're doing it really quickly. 
Well, if you're basing it on uh, a gut feeling, it uh, it's a good chance it's the wrong decision you're taking. And mm. uh, I'm, I'm trying to prevent people from trusting uh, their gut. <laughs> yeah, well, not necessarily because uh, sometimes it's good to trust your gut. But you know, if if you have someone on your team that you give more face value, for instance, and then you end up trusting him when his uh, information isn't that the good necessarily uh, and then you trust him over someone else with better information uh, and that makes your instant response not as good as it could be hmm. so I'm trying to figure out how to not discriminate based on you know factors your friends that are should, in yeah, organization factors yeah. that shouldn't really matter hmm. and that's no easy task right so uh, incident response explain uh, what's your definition of it well, instant response uh, could be could be viewed as an organized approach to addressing and managing the aftermath of security breach or cyber attack. You know, that's not necessarily uh, a good definition of uh, instant response uh, because there are so many attacks that shouldn't be a problem for people. Uh, you know, like having scan or, or whatever going on on your network you have to be able to identify them because it could be the first step of of an attack mm. uh, so you need to know that uh, the scan is on- ongoing uh, and then you need to to you know have this logged somewhere so that when when they escalate their attack uh, later then you you're able to connect connect the dots yeah, yeah what scan was the one go- coming coming before the the attack in this case uh, mm. You know, uh, but that that shouldn't necessarily warrant a, a full-blown IRT response and should be maybe called more like this operational incident that the SOC or whoever is working on you know, mm. first line is able to, to deal with, uh, cope with. You should have some playbooks or, or whatever that defines these kind of things. And uh, maybe a little uh, surprisingly, uh, ransomware should be one of those as well. DDoS should be one of those as well. Of like the ones that you that you wouldn't define as instant response. No, you sh- it shouldn't really you know trigger uh, the full blown instant response where where you know you have this incident manager handler uh, information manager analyst uh, communications team. You know you you shouldn't have all these things in place uh, when you're hit by ransomware because ransomware uh, you just shouldn't you, sh- you shouldn't pay. You should just restore from backup and mm. if you don't have backup then you have a huge problem mm. you know so when when you're first hit with the uh, ransomware then it's not much we could do it's not like we're going to to break the encryption it's not like we're going to fix something that's going to be very costly and it's a lot cheaper just to have you know a good backup good working backup so if somebody calls us right now and says hey we got hit by ransomware we don't have backup what do we say tough luck Really? Yeah, more or less, because nothing we really can do. Mm. You should just uh, get the ransomware out and plug the hole, mm. uh, start all over again. If I can ask you then, what do we, you know, what are people calling us about? You guys are so secretive in uh, this threat <laughs> intelligence team of ours. You never tell them anything, which is probably a good thing. Well, uh, our clients are calling us about um, mostly anything that they don't have the competency of or skills or you know resources to fix themselves mm. or they they have some resources sometimes some skills uh, and they want to fix uh, be a part of it and mm. let us come and do you know assist them uh, mm. in the instant response some helping hands yeah helping hands and depending on our availability and you know the seriousness and then of course we could come and help them 
because this is what we do, we're professional incident responders, uh, so we fix these kind of things. But uh, but mostly when when you know the Power Rangers or whatever, yeah, we're going to call ourselves. Uh, really need to work is when we are dealing with uh, advanced persistent threats like mm. nation states or very advanced crime syndicates. So. And is that because you don't want to kick them out, basically, and you uh, they want you know why would they? Well, eventually uh, the goal is to kick them out. But it's not necessarily that we are able to kick them out or that we should kick them out just immediately because we don't know who we're dealing with. We don't know what uh, they want to get out of our, our clients. Say say if we, we have found them in one segment of the network doing some kind of recon or whatever, and then we just indicate that we know that they're there we haven't necessarily seen them in this part of the, the network, mm-hmm. then they could just go under the radar, hide, and just let that part be kicked out, and then they could you know, there, keep yeah. on operating in, in the part of the, of the network where we haven't identified them yet. What sort of actions would we do that would let them know we're there? First of all, uh, we could you know start plugging the holes that they are Coming exploiting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know out of the blue just shutting down their what we have observed their way in Mm. so we could also do like stupid things like patching the vulnerability in front of them or you know start cleaning up after Mm. them Mm. you know leave traces because it's not like you see in the movies where they sit in a basement in a in a hooded sweater without lights on typing like very fast on the network or, or <laughs> yeah. the, key, the keyboard you know just exploiting and shouting i'm in and you know password breach it's not that yeah i'm in and that's not uh, <laughs> exactly how how it works uh, because these are regular human beings they they are at work they work nine to five mm. and they have holidays off you know we see in uh, on Chinese New Year or whatever, and then we see the activities uh, on the decline, and then they come back uh, mm. rejuvenated and healthy and feeling well. Like the second of January. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> you know they have this moving holiday, so mm. it could be like in the middle of March. Yeah, and then we just see less activity, and the same with uh, some some crime syndicates. They have this summer of coding. Where they just take everything offline. Go to the beach. Yeah, no, not necessarily. They they fix their program. Mm. Uh, they patch it. They make it better. They improve it, and then they deploy it when they're done. Mm. So it's not like they're having a vacation necessarily, but they they're organized and they're doing things. In, you know, and they're doing that in the shift. summertime is because they know that we're not at work and they have less opportunities window. I, I won't, window opportunities. I won't necessarily speculate in 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 why, mm. but uh, we see there are some clear patterns of when the advanced actors are are you know not at work, mm. and we see that they have uh, they're sleeping. They're not twenty four seven necessarily. Mm. Uh, they have different teams. You know they they have uh, designated tasks mm. they have to do. So when this breach team has come in and they're leaving all the information to the the other team that's going to you know exploit whatever they keep, keep it going for yeah. them now. Yeah. Mm. Speaking of phases. Yes. What 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 are the phases of incident response? Like how does it start besides us getting a phone call? Well, uh, it starts before this. Okay. Uh, yeah, because it starts with the planning and preparation. Yeah. 
Uh, and that's the governance risk compliance part of it, mm. where you have to prepare, you have to, you know, make some what ifs, uh, flow charts, what should we do when this happens, who to escalate to, mm. what's the escalating trigger point, who has the mandate to do something uh, about this. And what percentage of organizations actually have that in place? Because I've been hearing this for <coughs> forever, but uh, apparently it's still a uh, thing to mention. In their minds, everyone. <laughs> uh, but uh, when uh, when things get serious, that's when they see that whatever they had in place is not sufficient, or mm. yeah, it produces bottlenecks or, or whatever. Mm. And that's the point of like tabletop exercises, right? Yes, mm. that's correct. And other exercises the as well, because then you see it's it's a lot better to to figure out where things go wrong when you have uh, this safe environment where. I'm the bad guy and not the actual bad guy is the mm-hmm. bad guy mm. because uh, I'm not going to leak your data or yeah. punish you. No harm, no foul. Mm. Yeah. So uh, planning, yeah. Yeah, and then the next one is texting and reporting. It's important to have visibility in your network. If you have, uh, you know, if you have a lock on your door but you don't know, you can't see what's happening inside the house or you can't mm. see when the mm. door has been opened, who opened the door, uh, whatever, all you know when if you leave the house and come back is the, the status when you left and the status when you come mm. and then if things are as they were when you left then you just assume that no one was there but you wouldn't know mm. if uh, something is missing then you know that someone has been there mm. but you don't know who uh, you don't know when you don't know what else they did you know so detection and reporting is uh, important to have uh, visibility Mm. So the next phase uh, in instant response is assessment and decision, which is the phase where you have to assess what what has happened. Mm. You know, the doors uh, are maybe opened in my house. I got an alert. Nothing's missing. I'm assessing the situation. Uh, Is something gone? Is something broken? What has happened? If I assess it to be not that serious, then I wouldn't necessarily call the police to come to my house. But I would file a, you know, Mm. for some... It's something insurance claim, yeah. Yeah, something illegal happened, uh, so uh, so I need to to file it somewhere, and then the response, uh, and the response should be proportional to 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 my assessment. So say if I I figured out that uh, someone uh, came into my house, took all my jewelry, took all my computers, took all my money, then I would need the the police to come and investigate. Uh, maybe they broke something as well, mm. uh, and then we have this huge case, so we should mm. figure out. Who was it, and how could we, you know, return to normalization? Mm. So the last phase after the response is the lessons learned, and lessons learned uh, means what did I do wrong to invite these people in? Uh, what could I have done differently? Uh, how could I, you know, prevent this from happening again? And if it happens again, someone breaches the door, uh, maybe I could hide the computer, lock the jewelry somewhere else, you know make sure they don't get it so they can't steal it from me. The consequences of uh, the breach would be a lot yeah, you know, less severe. Mm. Uh, so those are the, the five phases of uh, instant response. As I identified previously, uh, the planning and preparation is for the government's risk compliance department. Uh, detection and reporting is for the SOC. And also the assessment and decision is also SOC material. Mm. And then the instant response team or the IRT comes in in response, handling it, and then they deliver lessons learned. 
which you know kind of is a Should go back, over back to governance risk and compliance mm. and on the side of all this we have the the technical the technical solution where you you, you know you do penetration testing of yourself to identify where could be some possible vectors to attack you etc uh, you have operations to you know install uh, appliances fix things you know be prepared for when the shit hits the fan mm. so mm. what happens when the shit hits the fan mm. uh, yeah what does happen when shit hits the fan yeah people call us and then you know I would like to say we push a big red button and it starts blinking and you know we have these tubes we jump into and just on the way down to our Batmobile, we get suited for, for the incident, uh, but that's not how it happens, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, we have to do some kind of boring tasks uh, before we can start, you know, the mercantile part of it. The commercial stuff? Yes. Do we have an agreement with the customer? Do we have resources to, to fix this? Mm. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, should we do this 24-7? Uh, is Christmas coming up? Do we need to force people to be... Uh, available for us to to handle the incident you know uh, these are people mm. uh, so they have to they have people considerations mm. to make, and we have to make them uh, as well and if we don't have the resources then we couldn't we can't really help uh, the ones calling uh, mm. it could be that we have already deployed all our resources on other assignments or we just don't have what resources they need mm. uh, because if they have this very specialized uh, problem going on we wouldn't necessarily need to have the specialized expertise and if we have a lot of available personnel but no one with that expertise then there's no point yeah no, we're not waste we don't have the, the expertise mm. you know so that's uh, that's the the boring First part step, yeah. yeah and uh, that's something you should consider at least a little bit before you decide to outsource this competence to someone else uh, because if you don't have this agreement in place before your incident hits you, then it's not guaranteed, guaranteed that you yeah. get the response you need when you need it. Mm. Uh, and that's uh, that's also a risk mm. that you need to consider uh, in the preparation phase. Uh, it's completely fair to say we don't want this in-house uh, because it takes a lot of uh, practice, uh, resources to, to maintain you know, the competencies. And and we are, I think, 200 or so people that can handle incidents. Uh, and not all 200 have the same background or mm. same, you know, area of interest uh, that they want to, to focus on. Uh, so say we have a couple of reversers, a couple of log enthusiasts, you know, and they do different stuff. They... They could all be a part of the same incident, but doing different things. Yeah, yeah different things. Uh, and having having a reverser in house is like that's good luck. Way, <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's it's doable. But it's uh, if you're DNB or a big uh, yeah, <laughs> because it costs a lot, and um, that person or if you have more than one, uh, you have this community where they could you know evolve. Yeah. But if you have that many incidents. Uh, involved uh, with uh, reversing tasks then you have a huge problem yeah. <laughs> in yeah. the first place so uh, your goal should be not to have the need all for all these yeah. resources so that's that's our niche because we go from customer to customer or client to client and fix this so we get the experience 
Mm. Uh, we know uh, how the the APTs evolve. You can see, you know, they're doing some things uh, this uh, this year, and then they're doing these things the other year, and then we have enough of uh, assignments to, to just have the people constantly updated and educated on. Is that why threat intelligence team in Monaco owns the incident response? Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, that's uh, that for part, a part of the reason. Uh, mm. Because we, we have to know what's happening mm. and respond accordingly. Mm. Uh, and we are fortunate enough to be big enough uh, and have enough assignments mm. so that uh, people could uh, stay on top of their game. Uh, and that benefits us. And that also benefits fits, uh, the clients that need our resources because we are we're updated, more or less. That's a stupid question. How long does this process usually take from, you know, customer calls us, wakes us up, says that we need to help, and then we say, okay, cool, uh, tell us what's happening, they explain it, we call them back a couple minutes later, okay, we have some guys for you. They get on their PCs, start working. How long are they gonna be there for? Oh, that depends. Yeah. That really depends on the... Do we have like an average, like, that we've calculated? Well, that's most of our clients, they just want to, you know, have our stamp of approval or, or, or whatever, so we could just move in, uh, do the assessment and deliver the report. That's uh, that doesn't take long. But then on the other hand, we have these more serious cases where where we have uh, you know an advanced persistent threat on the other side. So we would need to have more people. It could take more time. So, but that's the the other end of the scale. So that could take years. Mm. And that does happen. Long. We do have uh, yes. There exist uh, organizations out there that are being attacked like that, right? Yes, and that's an on ongoing process, and that's uh, more like a cat and mouse, mm. you know, where we have... Uh, it's a nation state on the other side. They want to get some kind of information, and then we should just prevent them from, from getting that information or that it shouldn't come out because mm. that's the... That's a consequence. But if you're there for many years, what are you doing? Like operating honeypots and just like just confusing them, throwing yeah. them off? Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Anything else you can say about stuff like that? Because I'm like, I don't even know what that uh, entails. I'm just like, okay, if you have 10 of our best guys with you for four years, what are the, why are they still there? Like, Yeah, it's a, that's a good question. And, uh, and we have to give the attacker something, but not something that's valuable and, and not, not something that uh, compromises uh, the clients of the client or, or whatever, mm. you know. Uh, mm. so they should have some... Uh, not important information so but that wow. uh, you know we have to balance a little bit is this uh is this compromising could this have a legal uh, consequences for the client uh, and and you know are we indicating that we know that they're there for the the attacker so you know we have to give them some but not all yeah uh, and it's a it's a game of uh, cat, cat and mouse that uh, sounds yeah. so much fun <laughs> when you're not the person that's uh yeah. being attacked i guess yeah but by the way the communication part yeah um that that is its own um uh, it's an it's an art of its own right yeah uh i you know i feel like honestly it's the best policy and it's weird because if i see a company's like yeah we're getting hacked under cyber attack i look at them like cool Thank you for telling us. Like mm. I, I, I automatically have like I sympathize towards them. That's probably because I work with cybersecurity. Yep. Other people may not like that. Like oh, that's a bad company. Or yep. but what? What is your? What is uh? What does Demonic say companies should do? Is honesty the best policy, or is there a? Uh, is there a strategy? It depends. Mm. It's uh, we're not the communications experts, uh, so I'll just have to 
you know wrap my mind around this uh, myself. Uh, so, but honesty goes a long way. So if you're owning up to whatever is happening, and then you're sharing enough information for people to know what's going on, uh, then that's good. But if you're sharing too much information, then you're obviously alerting whoever is attacking that you're onto onto them. You know, so even. It's, mm. You know, the, the communication part is uh, one way because you're not getting communication back. Mm. So if you're just telling everyone what's going on, then obviously the perpetrator is also getting the information that you're Straight sharing. From you, yeah. yeah. So that's not good uh, necessarily. Mm. Uh, and the other part of this, uh, this problem is, uh, say it's the 12th time this year that you've been hacked. You know, should you just go out there and say, well, we're hacked again, <laughs> too bad. Good morning, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> it's Monday and we're... Uh... <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, so if if you're constantly communicating that you're being hacked and you're, mm. uh, then you come across as somewhat incompetent, maybe, if you're mm. not learning from your previous mistakes. So I think sharing the, the right information, the right amount of information in, in at the right time, crucial, uh, and you have to do some specific assessments mm. is there any is there any circumstances where covering it up would be actually maybe the best thing to do well uh, you know with all the new gdpr legislation and things like that you're obligated to give information uh, to authorities mm. and the public and whatever within if due time yeah. or whatever they call it but uh, they also have this exception where you don't have to disclose the information if it's an ongoing investigation. Why doesn't everybody just hide behind that then? Well, because you can't have an ongoing investigation for a year, two, three, four, (laughs) you know? So if it's a a serious thing, then obviously you should hide behind the ongoing investigation part uh, Mm. for as long as you need it. Uh, But but it's also good to to share some information and tell Mm. what's happening. you know, if you, you're swift with the response and just fix things and get them out and that's your goal, uh, then you could respond and then disclose, uh, you know, because we have already fixed it and then people are, oh, okay, okay, but it's fixed, so mm. let's move on. But if you're if you're too early out there in the game and say, well, we have been hacked and uh, the, the, the advanced persistent threat now has uh, access to all the pipelines in, in Reykjavik and they could poison, you know, your water supply. Uh, but have a good day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're fixing it, but we don't know who is doing this or what they really want. You know, that's uh, that's not kind of good information. Uh, mm. So we have to be, be a little careful with what you share and uh, and how and uh, consider the consequences of, of your information, obviously. Mm. I see why it's a it's a fun job uh, what you're working with here. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's interesting. Mm. Do you have any like uh, last words of advice? Do you have any uh, you know with all this you're studying this you're working with it in real life? Um, somebody had has another podcast, but he said you know the whole point of security is like actually you know the whole point of a sock actually was just uh, when something happens just to clean it up you know incident response. Yep. So your whole security. Scheme should be gearing you, giving you everything you need to respond to an incident. Yep. And that was an interesting way of saying it. Do you agree? Mm. I agree. Uh, because I, I usually, when I explain the steps, you know, the preparation, the, the you know, detection, assessment, response, etc. Uh, I, I used to draw circles, you know, indicating each step in the circle. Uh, <clears throat> and then I used to 
and I'll put this regular sized uh, preparation part and then I come to the response and then it's a huge blob because if you have a small preparation phase then you have to do huge most response, of the yeah. yeah most of the job in the prep or the the response phase mm. but if you're good at preparation you know what's going can hit you or how you should respond when it hits then you have to have a lot less in the mm. response so the goal is to have a perfect balance between these two phases where you have put enough money into the the preparation phase uh, and then you wouldn't have to you know open your wallet when response comes yeah, yeah when the response comes in mm. and that's there are some things you could do to just start and that's considered uh, the different uh, threat actors you know you have the, the the basic script kiddies on on one side you have the hacktivist in the middle and then you evolve to crime syndicates you move up to the, the nation states at the end and and they're like a stair or they could be seen as some kind of stair where mm. the first step is the script kiddie it doesn't have a lot of skills it doesn't have a lot of motivation uh, their goals mm. are yeah whatever comes along and then the persistency is like once they're in they're in they're moving on so if you get them out they're they're out mm. but that being said you shouldn't you shouldn't let them in Mm. you know because these are not persistent at all they are if the things they have seen online doesn't work they go on then yeah they wouldn't know how to you know escalate or evolve their attack so they move just onto another target that's why the preparation should at least you know indicate at what level do we want to keep the the bad guys out before we need to to focus or put any money into responding to this so i would say the a good good advice is to have enough in the beginning just to, to get all these nuisances away so you don't have to deal with them you don't want to be owned by a 14 year old that just found some cool tools and then exposed all of your data you know uh, because you don't know who can pick up that data uh, mm. and say if you have the pipelines uh, a script kitty doesn't know what he's dealing with he just puts it online and see look what I found and then some bad guys could just pick it up from there they don't even have to attack you to mm. obtain th that kind of information so so that's not that's not fortunate so you should just move up on the stairs until you're you know confident with not having to handle these and you're prepared to handle you know the more advanced but just ones. to be a little more concrete here what is these smaller steps like ransomware for example, that's like one of those things that you shouldn't have to deal with, right? Oh, well, yes, that's an attack that's on the on the lower part. But I, yeah. I was thinking uh, threat actors, oh, yeah, you so know, no. because the threat actors just find things or they they want to do some some harm against you, uh, and then they have uh, they have different skill set, the motivation, etc. Uh, so they are just evolving. So crime uh, crimeware or crime syndicates, they they want to do. You know, they, they have this kind of goal. They want to make money on you or whatever, you know, selling information uh, that you have to, to other parts. Uh, and then the nation states, they have this one goal that they really want. So if you're a target of a nation state, then, well, yes, you are going to be owned mm. some way or another because they uh, they make... They will get in, yeah. Yeah, but they make zero days and they exploit zero days and they get in and get information. And then you need the visibility to to see them uh, and know what's going on uh, and maybe learn uh, 
from that attack to, to later so we don't have to build enough uh, preparation to withstand the nation state because you can't can't do it mm. uh, more or less uh, but you could pick off a lot of the less advanced attackers mm. uh, but yeah DDoS is uh, mitigated fairly easy uh, ransomware well it's not it's not necessarily prevented but it's uh, the consequences could be prevented that you just back up and restore mm. and you know revert mm. to a time before the, the ransomware existed in your network so yeah, you have to do that kind of uh, preparation. And also you should uh, practice, practice a lot. Tabletop exercises, uh, role-playing, uh, red teaming if, you, if you're that advanced. Mm. Uh, play, play around, have fun. It's when, when people uh, come together and uh, pretend they're the bad guys. Uh, you can see uh, the imagination of your employees, uh, at least. Uh, usually, what I was uh, going around uh, doing uh, <coughs> doing uh, uh, revisions, audits. My my final question to to my auditees were: If you were the bad guy and you had to do an attack right now, what would you do? And the 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 competence and inside knowledge that most of these uh, employees had led them to to you know make up this extreme path of exploits that could just ruin an entire company in minutes because they knew where all the holes mm. were and where the vulnerabilities were uh, and and having that competency within your own organization and letting them partake in a in a, in a you know exercise mm. could give you valuable information valuable, yeah. uh, and then you should just work with whatever information you get mm. uh, from that practice mm. and prepare uh, and I've, do it iteratively. Yeah, I've I've done that at table talk exercise. I was 22 and I was at my uh, one of my first. It was at ISF and one of his first uh, security conferences and uh, that I was at. And the guy just looked at me. Um, his name is Hans Petted. He was like that was his job or his main thing was to do these tabletop exercises. He's really good at it. And he looked at me and he was like, "You're the CEO." I almost cried that day because the whole room people watching you and it was like, making bad decisions is really intense. So yeah, uh, yeah it's uh, but it was fun. I look back and I learned a lot. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's a safe environment of uh, messing up, and mm. doing the wrong things. Mm. Uh, as long as uh, you're not, you don't have a culture of uh, exposing those kind of people, punishing them, mm. but uh, rather learn from what they have uh, not done uh, the right way. Uh, then you could improve the the process or, or whatever to, mm. to make them do it right the next time. Mm. Because uh, if there's something, someone that makes a mistake uh, rarely does, it's making the same mistake again. Mm. Uh, so if they already did it in a safe environment, then they're n- probably not going to do it mm. when, the, when it gets serious. Mm. Awesome. Well, Martin, uh, thank you. Thank you. For sharing your knowledge, I um, we had like some sort of a script, but I don't know where it went. And it went all over the place. So uh, maybe. Uh... Well, that's all for today, folks. Thank you for tuning in to the Mnemonic Security Podcast. If you have any concepts or ideas that you would like us to discuss on future episodes, please feel free to send us a mail to podcast at mnemonic.no. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.